1: podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Or remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always go over and check us out at CheeseHeadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by both Maggie Loney and Andrew Mertig this week. And we are here for another Friday edition of the podcast. And At least for me, it is a really late night right now, Uh, but we did get to watch a lot of Packers football this evening, so that makes for a great time. Totally worth the loss of sleep, but I'm curious how you guys are holding up and how you guys are doing following this football game. Yeah, it seems based on our our pre-podcast chat that there's a level of exhaustion
2: amongst the three of us, (laughs) but I will say this. We have a game to talk about, which is exciting. And also, I'm on West Coast time, so I feel like I don't get to complain. Uh, so just, <laughs> just checking in to see how you're doing, Maggie.
3: Yeah, I'm tired, but I don't think I'm allowed to be as tired as Kyle. So. That that's fine. But, you know, we're, we're operating
2: officially- in three different time
1: zones, baby. <laughs> this, is, this is good. Yeah. <laughs>
3: to bring you the Pack-A-Day podcast. But yeah, I mean, we're officially done with the preseason. So that's exciting to think that the next time we actually talk about a game, it'll matter in that win-loss column for Green Bay.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun. We are going to wrap this up podcast up before midnight. So uh, I'm I'm OK with it. This is going to be fun. We are here committed to the listeners, making sure you guys get the best Content You can get on the show sacrificing the sleep, um, but the Packers did in fact close out the preseason with a road trip to Kansas City for a Thursday night matchup with the Chiefs final score Kansas City 17 Green Bay 10 Danny Etling almost coming back. Uh, With the big comeback there at the end, didn't quite happen, you know, the heroics we were hoping for at the end of this preseason game. Uh, But lots to go over, you guys, lots of impressions and takeaways. So let's just jump in here. Let's start on the offense uh, and talk about some of those impressions that we saw for this team. Yeah, first thing first for me,
2: I'm not really worried about the struggles the Packers had on offense early. The Chiefs came out with their first-string defense, and the Packers were playing largely backups, and and we definitely saw that take effect. Um, When we get to the third drive and the Chiefs start putting in some of their backups, um, it almost was a dud, uh, but then... The 15-yard face mask penalty on Joshua Williams extended the drive, and then Jordan Love got into a rhythm. It was capped by a really nice touchdown run by Tyler Goodson. That, of course, will be the highlight of the night for the Packers. Uh, Goodson largely struggled to find space early in the game, some struggles in the offensive line, but his his burst through the gaping hole um, ended up finding his way into the end zone for the Packers' lone touchdown in the evening. Love then followed that up by leading another really impressive drive before the half. The protection there I thought was really excellent, and Love hit Samari Turi on a, a couple of really nice passes. Two bad penalties, a false start in a legal formation, pushed them back from the one twice, actually took a touchdown off the board on one of those, and then they end up settling for a field goal. I do not understand that decision in the pregame at all. I also don't understand how that was running to the kicker when Joshua Williams completely obliterated Ahmed, but, you know, I digress. Uh, Love moved the ball again in the under two-minute drive, I should say, but but stalled and then forced a ball down the middle of the field. Of course, it leads to an INT on the stat sheet, but he he was just trying to make a play at the end of the half, so who really cares? I think people did a good job of not overreacting to that, right? We don't like to see interceptions, (laughs) but given the the time on the clock, you you can kind of understand why he was trying to make something happen there.
3: Yeah, I think for me, my biggest takeaway on offense is this bottom of the wide receiver depth chart. You know, all these guys came to play. We talked on this very podcast, you know, who we consider roster locks in that wide receiver room. We had, of course, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and Sammy Watkins as your vets. You have Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs as early enough draft picks. And then Amari Rogers for his special teams ability, and not only... Has the special teams improved, but he's looked really good just on offense in general, Um, especially, you know, tonight. He's really come on the last couple weeks, so that's already six receivers. Maybe the Packers only keep six, but I think that Winfrey and Toure, you know, have done enough to force the Packers to keep seven. So to me, that's where I think it gets really tricky is who do you keep? Rodgers has singled out Winfrey a bunch, multiple times. He's highlighted his development. And so you'd think that would be like a resounding endorsement and a hint to the front office. No shades of Jake Kumro there potentially at all. Um, and then Toure had, um, you know, his status as a draft pick, obviously obviously a seventh rounder, but we know the Green Bay prioritizes draft picks when it comes to roster spots, letting those guys develop. So I jokingly tweeted out that there was no way that the Packers keep eight wide receivers. Um, and I really, I still don't think they do. I know we'll talk about that later in the show. Um, But yeah, the seventh wide receiver spot, I think is going to be one of the toughest decisions for that front office to really have to evaluate after the performances that a lot of these guys had not only tonight, but throughout the preseason as a whole.
1: Yeah, I really felt like this wide receiver conversation was kind of wrapping up. Maybe we were kind of getting an indication, and I think after tonight, all of that has just kind of blown up in our faces and there's a conversation to be had. So we are going to close the show with a little bit more conversation around the wide receivers because that's what the people want. Uh, But uh, Andrew mentioned the Goodson touchdown run. Uh, But one of the biggest stories in this game is going to be the running back battle, right, for that third running back spot Goodson isn't a big framed back, so he's not going to do well when the offensive line isn't winning up front. And the offensive line wasn't winning up front early in the game when he was getting those touches. But he made the most of his opportunities, and he did sneak in for that impressive touchdown run. Uh, Patrick Taylor, though, came in and ran pretty well himself. Nearly scored at the goal line. Andrew mentioned a, uh, one was called back. I think Taylor is clearly the better pass protector, and that's going to be a factor in this evaluation. And we know the Packers have said that this competition is going to come down to special teams. And so we're going to find out if they actually mean that because Patrick Taylor is one of Green Bay's highest graded special teams contributors. Uh, They obviously need those guys. We've seen the special teams continue to struggle. So they need the ones that are good. Uh, The Packers have a tough call to make there at running back. So that's going to be a really fun one to watch over the next week as they have to make that decision. But on the topic of Jordan Love, I think he had a really solid night. I We continue to see him getting more consistent. And I'm with Andrew that I don't really care about that interception at the end of the half, right? He makes that decision in another situation. We can talk about it, right? It's a bad decision in another spot. But I don't really care if he's just trying to make a play before the half. It's third down, too, right? So this is the end of the road. He's trying to make that play. Rob Domofsky did make an interesting note, though, here on Love. He notes that Love continues to struggle with the deep ball. He noted that at halftime, Love was 0 for 5 on balls thrown over 20 yards. Uh, Outside the deep ball, he was 13 for 16 for 125 yards, which that's an incredible stat line if you just look at that piece. So he's got to connect on the deep shots. He's got to make sure the decision making is in order, especially when he's going deep. But I think there's a lot to love. Here we go. A lot to love about Jordan's development and the path that we've seen him on uh, this preseason. I think there's a lot to like there.
2: Yeah. And so I know we wanted to touch base a little bit on how we thought the offensive line performed. Um, and I know early on there, there definitely were some struggles and I would like to just point out that the the Packers very, very young offensive line was being forced to go up against Frank Clark and George Karloftis and Chris Jones, which is not an easy <laughs> task for even experienced offensive lines. And so I did think that that contributed a little bit to the struggles, but, um, Maggie, we just wanted to check in. Was there anybody in the offensive line you thought performed well? Any Anything interesting that, that you saw tonight?
3: Yeah, I mean, the thing that I think is so interesting to me, and yes, there's the caveat, of course, that this was largely depth pieces against that starting, you know, defensive front, but that could kind of be what we see in Minnesota. We're hoping that Mm. in the next 17 days, Bach can play. And even if he can't, you know, you hope at least Jenkins can come back. Mm. But I think the biggest question mark for me is what's going on with Zach Tom, because Mm. I'm not an offensive line talent evaluator at a professional level, but I've been really impressed by Zach Tom, and I've had, you know, some questionable thoughts about Jake Hansen at times and Royce Newman. To me, if you're looking for your best five offensive linemen, Zach Tom is one of those best five, Mm -hmm. and he might even be one of your best five when Bakhtiari and Jenkins are back. So just the way that they've been prioritizing who takes snaps where I thought was kind of interesting going into this game.
1: Yeah, I'm with Maggie. That seems to be the consensus that we can kind of land on is Tom seems to be one of the best five and getting him on the field is going to be interesting in how they do that. Um, I think for me, it feels like Jenkins bumping him into guard may make more sense. I know that that may seem kind of counterintuitive, but if it allows you to get some push in the middle, leave someone like Tom out on the perimeter, that may make a lot of sense. Someone else that probably needs a little bit of a shout-out tonight would be Josh Myers. We saw a really nice play uh, from him uh, springing the run there on the uh, the Goodson touchdown, just working out in space and really just running someone over. So uh, exciting to see. I mean, it's a young group, but I think that there is you know, some – ceiling to that offensive line and what they can really become as we get into the season and they gel. But uh, that's offense. Let's go ahead and flip the page over to defense uh, and some of our impressions there.
3: Yeah, so for me, I think my takeaway on the defensive side of the ball is just that no one has really emerged as a standout in the secondary beyond that starting five. Obviously, you've got Stokes, Alexander, and Douglas. They are ridiculous. That's going to be such a fun trio to have back there. You've got Savage and Amos, obviously, with that back end secured as well. Um, but then there's been a lot of opportunities, both in camp and the preseason, for these depth pieces to kind of emerge, talking about, like, corner four safety three. I thought maybe initially it would be Rico Gafford and Keyshawn Nixon Felt like they had the advantage because of the Rich Basaccia connection and, you know, their contributions that they make on special teams, but no one really flashed. Uh, I like Shamar Charles. I think maybe you could peg him in a CB4 right now, um, but everything is just wide open. Tariq Carpenter, Packer 7th round safety uh, selection. This draft got his first game action tonight, but... Then Micah Abernathy had a really good game last week against the Saints. Sean Davis was kind of dubbed like safety three early in camp based on the way that those reps were being divided. And then Vernon Scott, unfortunately, gets injured and, you know, subsequently released for that, so just a a lot of positions that are really wide open right now. And I think my biggest takeaway is that nobody stepped up this preseason to claim those spots. I think that there were opportunities and I think some guys had flashes, but nobody really solidified themselves as, you know, that roster lock. So where the Packers go with those depth pieces, I'll be really interested to see how Goody and co kind of shake that out.
2: Yeah. And I I mean, I, I did think that the defense played well early in this game and they gave us some yards, but really Stymied the Chiefs unit that was led by Chad Hatney, but did have a lot of people that will be major contributors. They 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 had their starting off at the line in. Um however, in the second they, they have that brutal coverage breakdown. And you couldn't totally tell in the quick replay if the corner was supposed to carry the route farther, if the safety just lost eye discipline by engaging with the crosser. I know that they did say on the NFL Network halftime show that they really thought that the safety uh, figured that it was cover three and it was actually cover two. And so it was just hanging out in center field when he needed to get to the edge. But whatever it is, it's not a good look for defensive backs who are fighting for important roster positions, as Maggie just laid out, um, to have that kind of communication breakdown. Like, it's just not going to work. And unfortunately, the Packers have so much talent up top, but they just don't have the depth to support that. And so um, I think it's going to be a little nerve-wracking Uh, if any of those players have to miss time, kind of the big
1: five defensive backs, to see what is going to come in after them. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Is it going to be Sean Davis? You know, is it going to be someone like Micah Abernathy? Let's, Let's be honest, though. If Micah Abernathy comes away with that pick, instead of looking like a hologram out there, like the ball like literally goes through him. Like we're probably talking about how he's like the second coming of Micah Hyde instead of Micah Abernathy. And like, he's, then we're just like, okay, we've got our safety three. And like, he's the, you know, it probably grows out of that, but obviously just a weird, weird play where, you know, he's unable to to make that play, but <laughs> lots of questions with the depth in the secondary, lots of things to be sorted out. Um, but one player that seems to be living up to the hype Early on in this game, we got to see a fair bit of Quay Walker, and he's fast. He's active. He's he's looking like he's just going to be a guy who's all over the field. He's huge. Um, I think he's ready to be that reliable starter early on as a rookie, which is kind of rare, right? Um, Rob Domofsky, I already gave him a shout-out, so this is the second one in the show. Uh, but he noted that just 10 minutes into the first quarter – Way had been in on five tackles, right? I think he had three solo and was there for for another you know couple helping out. So flying around, finding the ball. And so combined with Campbell, this linebacker group could be really, really fun to watch and really good this season.
2: Yeah. And I just wanted to
1: mention um, one thing that I thought was
2: particularly frustrating with the defense is that there just wasn't really an adjustment to that fake handoff and then covering this head end crossing the formation in the flat. The Chiefs hit that route at least 3 times for really big chunk gains and the Packers just could not seem to combat it. So it is my assumption that we're going to see the Vikings try that in a couple of weeks. Like I'm I'm sure Kevin O'Donnell watches tape. So Maybe. um Probably looking at that as a potential weakness in this defense. But, of course, Devondre Campbell may play that a little bit better than the third stringers, but (laughs) but we will will see. Uh, And then, so I get the uh, honor and privilege of kicking off our conversation about our impressions of the special teams. And, uh, yeah, I'll keep it really short here. There was a lot of bad. I thought Ramiz Ahmed looked solid again, and that's good because we don't know what Mason Crosby's status is going to be in two weeks. Uh, A really nice tackle by Tariq Carpenter on a kickoff. But that's it. A lot of bad. (laughs) Besides that, like a lot, a lot, a lot. lot. It just kept coming. at, At least the Packers punter isn't a piece of human filth like some other NFL punters. (laughs)
1: Not the best news uh, that the Bills have to sort through this week and can't imagine that that's one that they want to roster. But we leave that up to the Buffalo Bills uh, to sort out. This is not a Bills podcast, but uh, the special teams unit, as Andrew said, continues to underwhelm. Some of that might be helped when they settle on a more consistent group that plays together consistently. Uh, But they're kind of running out of time, right? Like we've seen it for about three games now in the preseason. Uh, The communication appears to be a consistent issue. Guys just talking right up to the snap. Not looking like they're communicating the things that they need to be communicating, but more of questions of who's doing what. And those are not the things you want to see as you're approaching the season. So uh, Andrew mentioned Tariq Carpenter. He's an interesting name to watch around these cuts because he was kind of brought in as that special teams ace. And he's not going to be really probably coveted as a defender at at this point in his development. But uh, will his special teams prowess be enough to get him to stick? That will be kind of a fun one to watch if he's a a special teams value to this team. But, man, lots and lots of questions, lots of things to figure out for the special teams unit.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: luck of being injured for so much of training camp but he can wrap up when he tackles so you know if if there's I know he put some bad on film today too with Mm. that touchdown blunder but absolutely some good things to like when it comes to you know what he could bring to special teams but I think for me the impression overall is just that the turnaround is still largely under construction you know I think we all Fed into the hype maybe a little bit too much right away when Basaccia came. Um, the energy he brings, you know, calling special teams fence. And I was guilty of it, too. I think, you know, we mentioned the guys that he brought in from Vegas to change the culture. You got Rico Gafford and Keyshawn Nixon, who are some of his aces. And I, I do think that we'll see a culture shift. And I think that the unit can be better than it was last year, because honestly, I don't really think you can get worse. Um, but it, there's a lot to clean up from the preseason as far as productivity. But I think, you know, maybe some of the caveat here is that we're talking about guys that are third stringers and fighting for roster spots, and these aren't Passaccia's preferred guys in these positions. It's a lot of trial and error. And, you know, like Andrew said, they're running out of time for a lot of this trial and error. But if you've got some of your ones in there or your high twos that are coming in to take over on some of these units... Maybe things will clean up a little bit once Basacci has got his reliable guys in there and he's not playing with the very bottom of the 80-man roster. But, you know, if there is a silver lining in all of this, I think it's that Pat O'Donnell has looked great, which you could argue is to be expected of a vet going into their ninth season. But he had a really, really nice night against the Chiefs.
1: Yeah, it's not really exciting to talk about a punter having a great night, but it is important. And Paul Bretel noted that Pat O'Donnell was averaging 59 yards per punt on the night, which is very acceptable. That'll do if he can keep that up going into the season. But uh, there were a lot of players fighting for jobs out there tonight. Of course, that's a big deal in the preseason. We're less than a week away from when this roster has to get all the way down to 53 players. So we wanted to spend a little time tonight talking about what players caught our eyes uh, maybe in a positive way, maybe in a negative way uh, that have tipped the scales a little bit, maybe of whether or not they're going to stick on this roster when it gets down to 53. Yeah, my choice here is Amari Rogers. I, I really
2: liked the way that the Packers utilize him out of the backfield um, on handoffs and on jet sweeps and then on some quick slot looks. In fact, I think they tipped their hat a little bit what they think they're going to do with Amari in the regular season um, when he gets to work with the ones and Aaron Rodgers. And, and boy, did he perform really well in that role tonight? I think he has an opportunity to have a really stellar season and fill a nice role in this offense um, in just those situations as the gadget guy. Um, and then also on those those kind of quick slant looks that we know Aaron Rodgers loves over the middle.
3: Yeah, you can tell he definitely got leaner, and it did a lot to his frame and his agility and just everything we've seen from him making that leap into his sophomore season. But I'm going to go with Jack Heflin. And I've said, I think last week, even on this show, that that sixth defensive line spot to me feels like it's coming down to Jack Heflin and Chris Slayton. And they both had really excellent camps. They both had really strong preseasons. So it's tough. And, you know, I kind of thought that Heflin took a little bit of a step beyond Chris Slayton tonight. Um, He had just an exceptional tackle on fourth and one. He just completely lit up the running back in the backfield. He also forced a fumble about five minutes left in the fourth quarter for a significant loss. So we know the Packers drafted Devontae Wyatt in the first round. He's going to have his opportunities as a rookie to make an impact. But I think that the sixth lineman will also see playing time, whoever that ends up being, as a rotational piece. And, you know, you don't want injuries to happen but they do happen especially for the big guys that are constantly colliding so i think maybe heflin pulled away a little bit tonight but slayton also looked really good again and you know he had a really nice tackle um for a third down stop so that's going to be to me i think one of the the spots that we're not going to hear about until the very last moments before that final 53 is released because that's a tough one
1: it is a breath of fresh air for the packers to be in a place where there is a Embarrassment of riches along the defensive line. And I kind of wonder if this could be a position where we do see a trade at cuts. Maybe somebody says they'd throw a you know a late round pick at one of these guys that the Packers have to part with. Uh, you know, it seems like maybe the Packers have a couple guys there that other teams would value. But uh, for me here, it's Samari Toure. And he caught my eye in a big way. He caught everybody's eye in a big way tonight because, honestly, the so the, dust, the dust was starting to settle here at wide receiver, right? We were starting to get some clarity. Uh, Jawan Winfrey has done some really nice things. He's becoming a complete player, right? He's contributing to a blocker. And so lots of people feel really good about Winfrey. We know the Packers aren't going to keep a ton of receivers. This is not really what they do. Uh, but they probably are going to be pressed here, maybe towards that, keeping seven. Talk about eight on Twitter. I just don't know that it's going to happen. But Toure did some high-level stuff tonight. He was working the middle of the field. So it's not just contributing as a field stretcher. These are more nuanced routes. I know that Rodgers wants... Winfrey. He is. He said this, but if I'm Brian Gudikins, I'm going to have a really hard time risking losing Toure and the upside that I think he could probably possess. I, I want to find out what he is, and I'd hate for another team to be the team that gets that shot. Uh, Toure finished the night with seven catches on eight targets at the very end there. He added one more that uh, we could talk about a pass interference potentially, but I think to Ray stuck out in a really good way tonight and made this decision around that wide receiver room that much more difficult for this front office. So, guys, we're kind of approaching the end of the show here, but, I mean, this is this is the elephant in the room. What are the Packers going to do here? Because I've spent the weeks of this preseason and years past, every preseason, saying Matt LaFleur never keeps more than six wide receivers. He doesn't do it. Brian Gutekunst has kept seven at one point, but it just feels like that this isn't in their DNA as a team. But these guys have made it really interesting. What are we going to do here? Yeah, I I mean,
2: I would have a really hard time believing that the Packers would keep eight wide receivers because then, I mean, where's the cut going to come from? Are are they going to only keep two running backs and three tight ends or... Um, you know, where do you get that extra position within the roster? And then who else are you putting at risk Mm. in order to keep another wide receiver? Another reason why I think that you can get away with with only keeping six or seven is because— Seemingly, if you jump around to the other NFL camps, there's always some wide receiver at the end of the depth chart that teams really covet Mm -hmm. and they are afraid of exposing the waiver wire. And it's very rare that those players get picked up because there are so many good wide receivers around the NFL. And so for me, eight is just too many Um Watch me be wrong because I I'm wrong a fair amount, but oh. I really think it's seven, and that is going to cause a really really difficult roster decision, and one that I almost think you have to keep Juwan Winfrey just because of all of the drama with Rogers in the past, unless the move gets put past number twelve and and he signs off on it. So um, I personally, I mean, the value of Torres t- t- is, is incredibly. Um, high to me as a really lowly paid rookie who's on a you know four-year contract um and you know Winfrey you only have like a year or two left mm-hmm. so um that's where I would go but you know I guess we'll see
3: yeah, I mean, I think it's hard, too, because you need your vets for this year. You're not trading away any of these guys. But if you're looking at what the the wide receiver room looks like next season, you probably don't have Lazard, and you probably don't have Cobb, and you probably don't have Watkins. So you're looking at Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, potentially Juwan Winfrey and Samore Toure, and Amari Rogers as your five wide receivers going into next season. So where do you find the value in that? Like, who do you prioritize? And I... I don't think the Packers keep eight receivers. You know, I joked on Twitter, maybe they'll take three tight ends with the way that Tyler Davis has been playing and just (laughs) just roll with Big Dog and Tunyon and Deguara and see what happens. But again, I mean, these rosters are so, like, they churn so frequently too, right? The initial 53 is probably going to change three times, four times before we get to the start of the season. So. We're, we're talking about, you know, these running backs, who's going to be running back three that the Packers can't afford to lose, and whoever it is is going to lose their spot in a couple weeks when Kylan Hill's off the pup list. So I think we, we put a lot of stock into these bottom-of-the-depth-chart guys, and I just, it's like Andrew said, there's almost an embarrassment of riches at this point when you get to these final preseason games, and, you know, it's easier to get guys back than I think sometimes we anticipate it being. Yeah.
1: I think you're right. I think that is a good, you know, reminder that, yeah, our panic level for these guys going out the door maybe isn't as realistic as, as you know, maybe what is actually going to take place. Um, I like that you brought up, you know, this is a very different roster next year at receiver. And I do wonder if that plays into Brian Gutekind's consideration a lot, that maybe he stretches that. I'm with Andrew. I don't know that eight happens. That seems kind of crazy. But I do think as someone who said they're only going to keep six, like that's kind of been my thing. I think that that factor of next year they need some of these guys to hold over. I think that pushes them to seven. If it's me, I'm making the call for Toure, and I know that that's difficult, as Andrew said, with Winfrey. But I think the longevity there, like and what he's shown in limited action, is exciting. And I think Jawan Winfrey is a guy who's been around the league a little bit and maybe hasn't boomed um, the way that you kind of think that maybe two Ray could have that upside. So it's going to be fun. It's probably going to cause some drama at some point, either way it goes. Uh, But we're going to find out here in a little over a week how this is all going to settle. Yeah, I thought you both made really, really good
2: points about the potential for the Packers to maybe follow the plan that I I had sort of jokingly brought up and only keep two running backs for right now, knowing that Kylan Hill is going to come back and then maybe only keeping three tight ends, knowing that Tyler Davis is pretty unlikely to go elsewhere mm. uh, if they want him back on the practice squad and then have that roster flexibility for right now. But then you still have to make a decision down the line. Um, and I do think that there's going to be some, some players that are cut by other teams that the Packers might have some interest in. And then, uh, Oh, Hey, Yeah. The Packers have a really, really important decision to make at some other areas. We already talked about defensive linemen six. I would argue that offensive linemen eight and nine are are going to be a really, really intriguing roster battle. Um, not to mention uh, everything going on with the defensive backs, <laughs> linebacker four, uh, edge three and four that we don't right. really know yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, so there is going to be a lot of really interesting things hitting the news, hitting Twitter, um, and we're going to do our best to keep you up to date on the Pack a Day podcast. So please tune in all week uh, and then really just leading up to the season. So that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Pack a Day podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. You can find Maggie at Maggie J. Loney, and you can find me at Andrew Murtig. Please subscribe and consider giving us a five-star rating. You can catch Kyle, Maggie, and myself every single Friday. We will be back next week getting ready for the start of the regular season. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember.